next year, 2020, I just think that that could be the year for gold and silver. As a matter of fact, I think that Bitcoin is eventually going to displace gold. I think that in, say, the 2030, in 2030, people won't want to have gold anymore. They want to have crypto. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. The company is focused on its Candelaria Mine project in Nevada, where there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver. The Candelaria Mine historically was the highest grade silver producer in Nevada, generating over 68 million ounces of silver at an amazing average production rate of over 1,250 grams per ton. The project has tremendous expansion potential as past drilling has outlined deeper, high-grade silver targets for future drill programs. Silver One is highly leveraged to the price of silver and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to silverone.com. That's silverone.com. Greetings and welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I'm checking in with Don Durrett of goldstockdata.com. About a year ago when I interviewed Don, Don had said that if we saw that breakthrough through 1375 an ounce on the gold price, that would signal the return of the gold bull market. And there was a steady push upward once we did break through that 1375 price. So Don, welcome back to the show. And uh, we saw that breakthrough and now we're seeing a bit of a pullback. What are your current thoughts on the gold price? I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> it's, um, I guess we can start at the breakout at 1370, 1375. So we had a channel. Um, gold has been in a channel for about five years. And so it's pretty evident that once it got, a, got above that level, it was going to make a move. And, and it did. As a matter of fact, we never went back and retested 1375. If you look at the chart, it just pretty much just busted out and just kept going. And then this week, so I wanted to see 1850 silver um, close a, a weekly close above 1850 silver uh, twice, two weeks in a row, for to confirm that gold bull market. And we never got it. In fact, we never got one close, one weekly close above 1850 this year. We had an, I think we had an 1850 close on a weekday, but not on, a, not on the, on a Friday. I consider Friday as the weekly close. And so, so we still haven't gotten the confirmation. And the stock market is has been doing really well. So this week was kind of a, a perfect setup, you know, for gold to get beat up. So you had. The stock market hitting all-time highs, and as that when that happens, you know you get a little bit of less demand for gold, and then simultaneous to that, we had the dollar went up this week, and that's never good for gold. And the third thing is we had a lot of shorts. Uh, open interest was at an all-time high yesterday, so that was like you know a triple whammy on gold, and it was down fifty-five dollars this week. So we're at fourteen sixty-two right now. Um, the 200-day moving average is 1392, so we need to stay above that. So I'm looking at you know 1440 and 1392, hoping we stay above that. If we do that, then you know we won't. We're not going to retest 1375. I thought we might. You know I don't really want to go back and retest 1375, but I thought I thought we would. 
but the good news is um, I don't think we're going back in that channel. Um, so the going back in the channel means we would drop back below 1375, 1370. Um, I just think that we're out of the channel, and I'm expecting to stay out of it. Uh, we've been out of the channel, I think, since July. So, I mean, in theory, I mean, six months, we, we could go back in it. But I'm hoping we stay out of the channel um, and we, this is a correction and we start, we start going higher. It all depends on U.S. GDP. So we're under 2% right now. If we stay under 2%, I don't expect to go back in the channel. So in Q4, to me, I think we're still under 2%. So we're going to have to see what happens here in January. But I'm kind of confident that Q1, Q2, and next year, the economy is going to be weak. And gold's going to do well. So I'm, I'm hoping we can get get that those two weekly closes above 1850 in silver, and the bull market kicks into gear. And your long-term thesis for listeners that may not be familiar with uh, the assumptions Don brings into investing in gold and gold stocks, you're looking at three thousand to upwards of ten thousand dollar gold is your long-term projection. Well, I haven't really talked too much about ten thousand, but I've talked a lot about three. But absolutely, it's a good point. So I, when I got into gold mining, I, I got in it from the standpoint that I always I thought that gold was going to break out in a big way. In other words, at least at least two thousand and likely three thousand. It's the only reason I got into it. I didn't get into it for sixteen hundred dollar gold, seventeen hundred dollar gold, or annual returns. I got into it for a one time, once in a generation move where gold makes a big run. And I see that run somewhere between, say, 2,000 and 3,000. I actually expect to get out of a, a lot of my uh, mining shares around $3,000 gold. So I'm not a big bull at 5,000, 10,000 gold, although I see it as a possibility. Um, I'm more a bull um, on Bitcoin going to the moon than gold going to the moon. But 3,000, absolutely. I think that's definitely ballpark number. Don, so it was your bullishness on the outlook for gold, long-term outlook on gold, that eventually led you into the precious metals mining stocks. I recently had an analyst on this show, and he said it's essentially futility to try to predict uh, commodity prices. Even though he's bullish on gold prices, he only invests in a company if it's profitable profitable today at the spot price wouldn't you say your thesis for investing in gold stocks is a little different in that you started with a extreme bullish view on gold yeah I, I think it's foolish to invest on annual returns because maybe foolish is too harsh of a word but I, I don't think that that's where you where you're gonna make your money um, you know annual mining stocks in my opinion are too risky to to go and try to find a quality miner that has low cost and you're going to make money at $1,100 gold and you're going to make 20% a year. You can do that and all, but that's not what gold is about, in my opinion. Gold is about, it's very, very high risk, but it should have very, very high reward. So I don't look at annual returns. And I think we're going to talk about an article I wrote on Seeking Alpha on how I invest. So I'm all about chasing cash flow at higher gold prices. So I don't really care too much about what a miner is really doing today as far as profitability, you know, uh, where the gold price is today. I always value companies at where the gold price is going to be tomorrow, you know, next year, the year after, the year after that. And I'm kind of unique in that way. 
And like I said, I think this is a generational thing. And if gold goes to 2000, goes to 2500, goes to 3000, the returns are going to be phenomenal. And so that's why I'm in it. And you already, as we have d discussed in previous interviews, you already have your exit strategy in place. So you have your long-term philosophy and then you have your exit strategy already thought through. Yes, yes. And so I've written a book, you know, How to Invest in Gold and Silver, uh, focus on mining stocks, and I talk about the exit strategy. My exit strategy is to get out of the silver miners first because I feel that silver has more risk and we won't go into that. But I will start getting out of silver from $50 silver up to $100 silver. And I'll keep my gold mining stocks because I think that gold has less risk and has longer, you know, has more chance of going higher. So it's, you know, I'll get out of the Kirkland Lakes and have a lot of profit, but by and large, I'll hold on to my gold miners, get rid of my silver miners on the way up. But around $3,000, $2,500, gold, I'll be getting out of my miners as well. This is a kind of a one and done thing. You wrote the recent Seeking Alpha article, as you referenced, and strategy number one when you laid out three different approaches to mining stock investing was build a pro portfolio, and this is a long-term approach. Can you elaborate a little more on this? Yeah, I'm, the timing's great. I'm glad you invited me on your show this week because that article just came out last week. Um, so, yeah, so I wrote the article is on – there's three – is. is it was my opinion on three different strategies for how to invest in gold and silver mining stocks. So strategy number one is a passive strategy that's long term. And what I mean by passive is you're not uh, um, actively managing your portfolio. All you're doing is building it for the long term. You don't care about annual returns. You care about long terms and you're focusing on the gold price rising. This is the strategy that I use. So what you want to do is build a portfolio with, with the whole focus of future gold prices. So you basically want to, you can, do, and then in my book, I talk about the different types of stocks you can, how you're going to build it. But the focus is building the portfolio. So what I do is I use a pyramid approach and I use, you know, at the very bottom of the, the pyramid is less risky stocks and uh, physical metal. So I do physical gold and silver and I do mutual funds and I do ETFs. So those are the lower risk. That's your base of your uh, portfolio, base of the pyramid. And then the middle of your pyramid, um, you have your majors and your mid tiers and they're your producers. And then, so then the chunk of your, of me and my passive investing is that, is, is a little bit less risk because I kind of try to avoid the higher risk, the exploration stocks and, and the development stocks. So they're at the top of the pyramid because those are going to have a lot of volatility. But if since you have a foundation of less risk, then you can do this passive approach that I do. So you build that portfolio and you constantly build it. And so you're constantly looking for opportunities to imp in in increase your portfolio with the intention of when the gold price finally does run. And it makes that run, say right now we're at around 1460 gold and it makes that run to say $2,500, $3,000 gold. If that happens... Um, you're positioned. So this uh, strategy, this strategy number one that I call it, this passive building the portfolio for a long term, is all about positioning and waiting. Now that doesn't work for everybody. Some people do not cannot handle uh, paper losses, so they need to have a more active um, approach. And that's strategy number two. So strategy number two is what I call 
a trading approach and active management and annual returns. And this is how, this is the traditional way how investors uh, invest. It's more of a um, hands-on active. You're always watching your portfolio. And anytime you have uh, a loser, you basically, you cut your losses, let your winners run and take profits. And you're always about annual returns. And, and sometimes a long term, but by and large, you're trying to prevent losses. And so it's more of an, a, a hands-on active approach. But that's very difficult to do in gold mining because of the volatility. For me, I, I like to own a lot of stocks. And if I owned a lot of stocks and I, and I use stop losses on all of them, it would just be a, a nightmare for me. You know? uh, so, um, I, so I don't do that. And then, then the th third, and a lot of people do a combination of strategy one and two. And then the third strategy is, um, which is very common in the miners, is the short-term strategy. And the short-term strategy is what I call um, you're kind of chasing momentum or chasing drill results or chasing opportunities. So you're looking for, for instance, um, a stock. You hear about a stock that looks really hot. Uh, for instance, Lion One right now, I think, is, is one of those ones that kind of has FOMO in the short term and you're, you're kind of chasing the drill results. Um, and any time a stock, you hear a stock, you know, that has a lot of, you know, chatter around it and you're just kind of chasing, you know, a quick return, you know, 25, 50, 100 percent in the short term, um, chasing momentum, you know, short term. And, and those those are it's, that's kind of a really kind of a hyper uh, proactive approach. You know, you put a stop loss in, you know, say 10 percent, 20 percent and you try to chase it up. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, people you can do really well because if, if you get a good entry price. Um, if you get in early and then that stock doubles, um, you know, before it contracts, then you can do a, stop, a trailing stop loss and you can just follow that guy up. I mean, some of these stocks really explode like this year. Um, uh, uh, great Bear Resources? Yeah, Great Bear. Great Boyer, I mean, it's been like up a thousand percent. So, you know, so you get in early on these stocks and, and you can just use a trailing stop and just make a boatload of money real quick. So a lot of people like to do that strategy. So that's kind of strategy number three. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Orn Resources is a junior exploration company with the appetite of a major, focused on finding the next globally significant discovery to create enormous potential upside for shareholders. It's one of the most aggressive exploration companies pursuing high-grade, scalable gold and copper deposits and has a premier seven-project portfolio including its two flagships, Committee Bay in the Arctic and Sombrero in Peru. With Oren's unparalleled technical team and highly experienced management with a history of success in advancing and monetizing exploration assets, Oren has been called one of the best in the junior exploration sector. Orin trades on the TSX and NYSC under the ticker AUG. To learn more, go to orinresources.com. That's A-U-R-Y-N resources.com. Don, you employ strategy number one. However, most people I talk to, even on this show, uh, employ strategy number two. So if I Critique strategy number one from the vantage point of someone that employs strategy number two. Perhaps they could say, well, you know, if you're investing, which you write in your article, no more than 2% of your portfolio in any given company, and uh, the only active thing you do is choose your initial position and then essentially forget about it, how come you don't just diversify what you're going to invest in the gold stocks in like five different gold ETFs? 
rather than essentially try to create your own ETF? The reason why, I mean, and I do, I do load up on the ETFs. Um, that's the, kind of the base of my um, portfolio. Um, but I, and I, I go above 2% on some of the ETFs. But on individual stocks, most of my individual stocks probably average less than 1% in my portfolio. Because I, I do a lot of 0.5%. When I do a 0.5% of my portfolio, I don't really care about it. You know, I buy it because I, I think it's going to do really well at higher gold prices. Um, and so I don't, you know, and it's a, you know, it's a very passive approach. And so a lot of people that do strategy number two, because they are very actively managing their portfolio, they can't have 50 stocks. Most people that do strategy number two in miners, they only own 10 to 30 stocks. Uh, most of your big players in this field, um, you know, kind of your Rick rules, if you will, they don't own more than 30 stocks. They probably only, in their portfolio, they probably only have 20 or, you know, somewhere, you know, I'd say they average around 15 to 20. So they're actively managing. And so I, I personally don't like that strategy because it just makes me too nervous. I don't like to have, you know, a boatload of money in a single stock on a cost basis. I don't mind having a lot of money um, after, after it's, um, the cost basis is low and then it breaks out. I don't uh, measure my portfolio on the current valuation of the stock currently. I value it on the cost basis level. So if it breaks out and it's 5%, it doesn't bother me. But I don't like to have my cost basis at 5%. And then it, for someone that employs uh, strategy number two, people have said, well, you're not, you know, this is a high risk, high reward. You got to shoot for those rewards that even when you get a winner, because you're so spread out in your portfolio, it isn't going to make it worth it. Would would your response be, well, I'm in it for the long haul with a higher gold price, so I'm not worried about that? What would your response be? Um, yeah, you, you have a good point. So what, what happens is, is that you can, if you're a good stock picker and you pick 20 stocks or 30 stocks, um, you're going to do really, really well. But the average person isn't a, it can't pick stocks as good as Rick Rule. So they're not going to do as good as him. So they're going to pick, you know, 20, 30 stocks and manage them. They're going to have a lot of risk because they're going to have a lot of stocks that have three, four, five, six, seven percent. Um, you know, he he can actively manage it and do it. It's not easy to have that type of a portfolio. Now, for me, if I do, you know, one percent or a half a percent on a stock, but I'm valuing it based on two thousand twenty-five hundred dollar gold, those stocks are going to do exceedingly well. So I have a lot of leverage. So I don't know which stocks are going to be 10 baggers or, or even better. I don't know. I mean, it's almost impossible. That's why I don't like to pick 20 stocks because I don't know which 20 are going to do great. So instead of being a good stock picker per se, I basically, you know, I cover everything. For instance, silver miners. There's only about 20, 25 silver producers out there. So I own most of them. So if the silver sector does well, I'll do well. You know, and, but it, I also own silver ETFs on top of it. So I own the silver ETFs, plus I own the individual silver market as well. And then I, I like producers. I actually focus more on producers. And I think you're going to talk a little bit about best value. So my strategy, I like to load up on producers because I think the producers are going to do exceedingly well because their profitability is going to explode as the price goes up. And we don't know what the valuations are going to be on a cash flow basis. Uh, for instance, in my article, I talk about Cisco. Cisco back in the 1990s was valued at 280 times free cash flow. 
Yeah, 280. So, I mean, what are the markets going to do? I mean, some of them are probably going to be valued at 50. As a matter of fact, some of the royalty stocks already are valued at 50. So we don't know, you know, is First Majestic going to be valued at 30, 40, 50 times free cash flow? We don't know. Uh, probably not, but it might it, prob- it might get valued at 30. So, and then nobody's expecting that. So if people thought that First Majestic is going to be valued at 30 times free cash flow, they'd be buying it right now, right? So that's where I'm coming from. That's my philosophy is that I'm going to buy First Majestic expecting 10 times free cash flow. But in actuality, I could get 20 or 30. So my, my expectations could be double, triple what I'm thinking is going to happen. And as a matter of fact, a lot of my valuations on my website are somewhat conservative. And people challenge me and say, Don, that's too low. You know, where I'm valuing, because uh, on my website, it tells you um, on their company's profile what I think that company is going to be worth. It shows their future market cap valuation, and and they and, and I show that, and people go, that's too low. And the only reason why it's too low is because I can't I can't expect you know these companies to be valued at twenty times free cash flow, but it could happen. Don, six months ago when we spoke, you said that you were uh, buying ten ounce silver bars and investing in quality gold producers. Uh, where are you finding value right now? Well, let's go back to that. So I was buying ten ounce bars when silver was at fourteen. So. And I was right. You know, that was the silver was cheap at 14. I was like, you know, I was buying silver just out because I was uh, kind of angry, if you will, at the, at the at the market. It's like, what are you doing valuing silver at 14? This is ridiculous. Okay, they get <laughs> 14. I'm buying silver. I was like obstinate. So yeah, I, I, I stacked some silver for a while while it was under 15. Um, so where I'm finding value right now is I'm looking at producers. Um, for instance, I think that West Africa right now is is being ignored. I, just because there's been a lot of you know you know political stuff going on in, in Africa, right? Burkina Faso, which everybody thought was kind of a safe place, has had a bit of a had some issues. Mali's had some issues. So a lot there hasn't been a lot of money, a lot of investors. But I can have kind of a big five in Western Africa. If you buy all five, you're probably going to do well. Uh, Asanko, Taranga, Orzone, Hummingbird, and Perseus. Those are my big five in West Africa. Um, the other place I'm, those are all, most of those are producers except for Orzone. I'm finding value in producers. Um, interestingly, the, the HUI is at 207 right now. You would think that we would find some cheap producers, but a lot of the quality producers have been holding their value. They haven't been crashing. To me, that tells me that invest the investor sentiment is it hasn't really even though the 207 looks like investor sentiment is, is is terrible if you look at some of the values on on the quality producers they're kind of hanging in there um, but you have to you have to look at the quality producers and you have to look at um, what they're valued at and, and try to figure out what the good entry prices are but I want to, you want to own producers when, when gold and silver breaks out. So it's a matter of, but you also want to have a good entry price. I talk about that in my portfolio. When you're building your portfolio, you want to make sure you get a good entry price. You don't want to buy these stocks that are, because you want good upside. Um, the other place to look, there are two others. One is development stocks that are near production or have a path to production. Uh, pure gold now is um, they they have a path to production and I don't think they're super um, pricey. Uh, one that I I have an article coming out in Seeking Alpha next week for Amarillo Gold, which I think is really cheap, which is another stock that 
it, it doesn't have financing yet, but I think it has a pretty good path to production. So if you have a, a development stock with a path to production, then I think those have a lot of value. And the last one are drill plays um, that look, look pretty good. Uh, I think Lion One right now, uh, Quentin Henney, he took a look at that uh, mine. He's, um, he's just an advisor for Lion One. But the CEO of Lion One has had a lot of success, and he thinks this might be his biggest one. So that's another one that I think um, a drill a drill story. You have to be really careful on these drill stories. They have a lot of risk, but for me they're kind of fun. It's like every you know I like to chase I'd like to chase drill results once in a while. I just I know it's really really risky. Um, I don't think people really recognize the high risk of these drill stories uh, drill plays. That's why I like to focus on having a heavy load like the bottom of the pyramid with uh, quality producers. But you would employ strategy too, as you laid it out in the article, when it comes to drill plays, right? Drill plays really are are strategy three, even though um, strategy two is more of an annual return trade trade strategy. Uh, The way I wrote the article, strategy three is when you're chasing drill results, when you're chasing momentum. Um, or you're 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 trying to find momentum. So line one isn't exactly a momentum play, although it is up right now. I think it is starting to have momentum, but it's one of those ones where you're chasing the drill results. The next drill result could really, because they're just now starting a, um, a deep drill program. But yeah, when you're chasing drill results, that's more of a short-term play. That's one where you can make 100% in you know, a year. On the developers that you said you like that have a pathway to production, as you know, all the timelines usually for a developer that are laid out are not met. But regarding the stated timelines for production, like how many years out would you be willing to invest in one of these genre of companies? Well, I, I'm very flexible on that. But ideally, ideally, you want a developer that's within one year, um, within within one year of say uh, construction. Those are those have less risk, the better risk reward. So, if you, for instance, Pure Gold, for instance, so Pure Gold is financed up, and they're going to start. They're going to, I think, maybe be in production within a year. So those type of plays, for instance, um, uh, Victoria. Recently, they started produce. Victoria Gold started producing in September, and the they, they did a lot of dilution, so their share price really hasn't went up significantly, but the risk has dropped. So Victoria um, is probably you know since their early producer, and now they basically have built the mine. That stock is probably going to double. Uh, fairly quickly. I don't know. It just, the CEO said that he's not going to take less than a dollar and it's like under a dollar right now. So the risk, it, it's it, basically my point is the risk really starts to drop when these companies f- build their first mine or when they start producing or when they start construction. Um, but again, back to my flexibility, I will go out five years. Um, I, I'm a long-term investor. So if I see if I see a development play that I just really like the project, I'll get in early and I'll just wait. Now over, I've found that these development plays, these longer term ones that are you know five years, I don't like to go more than five years. 
Um, but if I go, if I think that they're going to have, let's say they're going to start construction within five years, sometimes they take like a, at least a year to build and sometimes two years to build a mine. But I think, okay, this, they should be able to get into construction within five years. And I really like the project. And when I say I like the project, I mean, I like the location. I like the economics. I like the cash flow. In other words, it's probably at least, you know, say 80,000 ounces a year. And it long, long life. So it's at least 10 years, maybe 15 years. Um, and I like the management team. So everything kind of it checks all the boxes. Those are the ones that I will go ahead and, and, and invest in, even though historically I've been burned on a lot of these. When I say burned uh, for two reasons, reason number one is that they've diluted shares to the point where once they get into production, I'm, I'm probably underwater. And number two is they've uh, sold the project before um, first pour. Those two things, one and two, happens about 80% of the time. <laughs> so it's, it's for me, um, development plays are, have, more risks. When I first got into this, I thought development plays were were great because the gold in the ground, you're basically buying gold in the ground for very, very cheap or silver in the ground for very, very cheap. But it turns out you don't get the reward. So I don't I still do development plays. I still, you know, but I do, I do a lot, a lot less drill stories now. Don, what's your perspective on those companies with massive gold deposits, but there's no way in the foreseeable future that they're going to be able to raise the billions of dollars of CapEx needed. I have in mind International Tower Hills, Seabridge Gold, Nova Gold, companies like that. I've learned. Uh, um, I've been watching it. I've been doing this stuff since 2004. And so I've, what I've learned over the years is that if a company doesn't have a path to production, then there's no reason to invest. And, and also the path to production, it, it basically has to check the boxes. So what you're talking about is basically an optionality play. Mm -hmm. So Seabridge is a good optionality play, but the problem is the upside. You know, what are you going to get? You're going to you're, you're probably you're going to double your money. I mean, if gold goes up, Seabridge is going to go up. So you're probably going to double, maybe triple. And, and the risk isn't isn't terrible. So a lot of these optionality plays are not terrible investments for the long term. But the problem with them is you're probably not going to get five X or four X returns. So I'm like, eh, if I'm not going to get, you know, at least, you know, a three X, you know, why? Why should I just sit in this stock? And and you don't know when your that stuff's going to get monetized. I mean, it's a really it's a long term play. So I mean, you know, International Tower Hill, all three of those, um, they're all pretty good optionality plays for the long term to double triple your money. But I don't like them personally because I don't see. One, I don't see the path to production. I don't see a timeline. I don't know when they're going to start construction. Uh, two, I don't know how they're going to monetize it. Seabridge Gold, I mean, nobody has any clue how they're going to monetize their projects. I can't value that. So if I can't value that, I'm not interested. So I basically say, and, and another one, I'm, there's just a lot of unknowns in these. Also, you, you have uh, potential permitting issues with Nova Gold. Um, some of these really big projects, you just don't know how, if they're going to get permitted, when they're going to get permitted. But there's just too many unknowns for me. So, so the two the two areas that I tend to ignore are these really big optionality plays. But every once in a while, I might do one. For instance, I own Chesapeake Gold. 
because Chesapeake Gold to me um, is a is a bit of an unknown. Um, That's eighteen million ounces in Mexico, I believe, right? Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with that project. I don't know how much they're going to keep. It's just that optionality play kind of interests me. One thing that they're doing that some of the others aren't, though, um, I know I talked to the management about a year and a half ago, is that they lowered their GNA significantly, where Nova Gold, I believe, is still spending over $20 million a year. Right, right, right. Yeah, it, it intrigues me a little bit more. But by and large, I'm... I'm kind of a, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, I don't invest in very many optionality plays or drill stories anymore, because I just find that the upside potential is there. Just there's too many unknowns. When I, I pretty much know that if a producer is going to benefit or a development play that eventually gets re-rated because the gold in the ground is eventually going to have cash flow. I don't think I've said this in this interview, but my philosophy is all around chasing cat future cash flow at future gold prices. That's kind of my philosophy. Are there any other commodities? Uh, we've been talking about gold, but other than gold, are you bullish on anything right now? Well, first of all, I'm negative on base metals because I just don't see the global economy picking up steam. If you're, if you think the economy, if, if we're in a cycle and the commodity cycle, I read this all the time. People say that the commodity cycle is about to turn and we're going to go into this bull cycle of commodities. I don't see how that can happen unless the global economy turns around. But if it does, there are a lot of opportunities, especially in copper. There's a lot of cheap copper mines out there. It looked fantastic if if, turn, if if things turned around. I mean, if I like copper, I definitely own Western Copper in the Yukon. I mean, that project's fantastic at higher copper pro prices. Um, but for me, the best commodities is crypto. Um, I like uh, Bitcoin. I like Litecoin. I like Ethereum. Those three, to me, I don't think people realize the upside potential. Um, I mean, I got into gold because I I really was negative on the the global economy's direction and all the accumulation of debt and the way that the central bankers were managing their economies. And, and I mean, this is 20 plus years ago and it's just gotten worse and worse, right? So these new cryptocurrencies, they're basically threatening the financial system the same way that gold and silver are protecting um, basically all the uh, our hedges against all other assets. Uh, these are hedges against uh, fiat currencies. I think they go hand in hand. I think Bitcoin and gold go hand in hand. I don't understand why Peter Schiff thinks that Bitcoin and gold are, are opposites. I think they're, they're twins. As a matter of fact, I think that Bitcoin is eventually going to displace gold. I think that in, say, the 2030, in 2030, people won't want to have gold anymore. They want to have crypto. Tom, that's a provocative statement right there. Well, let's see what happens. But I think in 2030, so we're talking, you know, 20, 12 plus years, 11 now. In 11 years, I think people will basically say, I don't, I don't want gold, I want crypto. Because I think that crypto is just going to be the new money. Well, I mean, and so what, here's, here's a perfect example. So people that, that bought houses like in California in the 70s and the 60s, the younger people are going, this just isn't fair. You know, I can't buy a house for what they bought it for. You know, it used to be a third of, you know, your income where you could buy in houses. Now, it's, housing's went up 3x, right? So the younger people are going, you know, this is, this is you know, not fair. What's going to happen in 10 years is, is we, my gen the generation that we are right now, we're buying chipped crypto when it's cheap. 
10 years, 20 years from now, everybody's going to be jealous of us because we, we were able to buy crypto when it was cheap. And in the future, it's not going to be cheap. This is the early early stages right now of crypto. I mean, Ethereum's under $200. It's going to be, you know, who knows what it's going to be. And Bitcoin's the same. I mean, Bitcoin's under 10000 And it's going to be, you know, multiples of this in, in a few years. And it's never going to go down. I mean, once it goes up, it's going to stay up. And it's just going to trend higher and higher because they don't make it. They're not making anymore. So you think that even though humanity for millennia upon millennia has you look to gold as the ultimate currency right. since the beginning of time. You think that humanity could abandon that perspective for an electronic currency? Absolutely. I think it's possible. Absolutely. The reason why is because it 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 has all, all of basically the, the characteristics of gold, but it's better because it's transactional. So people are, why do you why? The only reason we have gold is a hedge against, you know, these fiat currencies. But if you don't need a hedge, then you don't need gold. So gold becomes, you know, basically superfluous. I really think that can happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen. We'll see in, you know, in 10 more years. But, but if cryptos are successful, then why do you need a hedge against crypto? You need a hedge because somebody's going to turn off the Internet. There's no reason. There's no need for a hedge. So if you don't need a hedge, then you don't need gold. And gold isn't transactional. Only thing gold can do is back a fiat currency, but and a lot of people are right now are using gold to back uh, crypto, which I think is superfluous. I don't think it's necessary. So we'll see if 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 bit, for instance, let's see what has more value: crypt, Bitcoin on its own or a new crypto that's backed by gold. Let's see what has more value. I would, I'll bet Bitcoin has more value because people will say I don't need a um, a commodity backed crypto. Yeah, but what about the third-party risk? Because with an electronic currency like Bitcoin, you have third-party risk, whereas gold in your possession, you don't. <laughs> there is no third-party risk with Bitcoin. It's decentralized. That's the beauty of it. That's the reason why I say it can displace gold. There's no third-party risk. What's the third party? It's decentralized. Well, you have electricity. You can't have it without electricity for one. Right, I mean, right. Okay, that's great. That's great. So, so the third party is the Bitcoin network itself. So I, I've actually, I have an article on Medium right now, um, how Bitcoin works. And I talk about the negatives and the positives. So anybody can go to Medium and do a search for uh, how Bitcoin works and find my article. Or they can go to my website. I actually have a link on there for a PDF. And I talk about the benefits and negatives. So right, the, 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 the third party of Bitcoin is the network. So if you have a, a if you have a Bitcoin wallet and I have a Bitcoin wallet, we basically have our own bank in our hand, right? And I transfer Bitcoin from from my wallet to your wallet. The only third party is the network, in, the intermediary between. That's the only third party, but the network itself is decentralized, so nobody owns that network. So you're right, electricity, that's the th that's the uh, third party. So in fact, there's no counterparty risk just like gold. Well, Don, uh, I'm above my pay grade to talk about this any further, but you do have very uh, provocative and interesting perspective on this. And I will put a link, if you can send me the link, I'll put a link to the that Medium article in, right. uh, in the show notes for people to go read more. In light of everything we talked about, is there any concluding thoughts you'd like to share with my listeners? Yes. Um, so next year, 2020, 
I just think that that could be the year for gold and silver. I, it just it's setting up it, it, because we've been in a five year. Like I said, we the, the eighteen fifty dollars silver has not closed on a weekly basis, so we're not in the bull market yet. The T, the HUI right now is still down seventy percent from its all time high. So next year, twenty twenty is setting up to be potentially the year for gold and silver miner and investors. We'll see what happens. But right now, as we speak, that's what I see potentially. Excellent. Uh, you've been listening to Don Durrett. Go check out his uh, website, goldstockdata.com. He also wrote a book on gold and gold stock investing, which you can find information just by going to his website. And there's links from there. Don, as always, I appreciate your insights. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Bill. It was great. Otis Gold Corp is a gold development and exploration company with quality projects in the pro mining state of Idaho. Otis's flagship Kilgore project has a resource of 961,000 gold ounces, and it's recently published preliminary economic assessment demonstrated an impressive post-tax IRR of 53% at $1,500 gold. In addition to the significant expansion potential at Kilgore, Otis is exploring its highly prospective Oakley project. This Carlin-type gold deposit already has an inferred resource and previous near-surface drilling intersected 123 meters of 0.69 grams per ton gold. Otis Gold Corp trades in New York under the ticker OGLDF and in Toronto under the ticker OOO. That's triple O. To learn more, go to otisgold.com. That's otisgold.com. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.